Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's podcast. As usual, it's great to have you join us here today. I want to start off today's podcast with a big thank you for all of you who have taken the time to give us a rating and review for the podcast. We really appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to do that, as it helps us in our rankings in the podcast world, and it makes it easier for other people to find us. So before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that we launch our online salon management course on Monday, the 10th of January. So if this is going to be the year that you really start building the business that you want, then it all starts here and it all starts with you on the salon management course. If you want to join us for the first launch of Salon Management Online, then register your interest at growmysalonbusiness.com to be kept informed of dates and times. So with that said, on with today's show. My guest on today's podcast has been a long time coming. He is Oscar Cullinan, founder of the Oscar Oscar Salon Group in Australia. I first met Oscar in 1983 when he was a student on the Sassoon Diploma course in London. And since then, he has gone on to build up an extraordinarily successful 15-strong luxury salon partnership group in Australia. And as if that wasn't enough, he has now gone on and started his own product line. In today's podcast, we'll discuss knowing when it's time to expand, the partnership business model, what it takes to create culture and to build the brand, the importance of leadership in the salon industry, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Oscar Cullinan. Great to be on board, Um, Anthony. It's been a a little time planned, and eventually we got there. Exactly. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I know we've spent a couple of years trying to make this happen, so it's good for for that day to finally come about. So uh, let's just start off with what I do with everybody. Just give us a few bullet points of, of who is Oscar Cullinan. Where did you, where did you start your hairdressing career and, and where are you now? See if you can do that in less than 30 seconds. That's the challenge. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try and make it quick. Okay. Well, I was born in the west coast of Ireland, a very, very remote part of Ireland. I um, got into hairdressing sort of by default. I wasn't very good at school. Um, my brother um, decided to send me over um, to Vidal Sassoon and, and do the, a diploma course at Sassoon. Um, then I, I finished that, um, went back over to Ireland, um, and then I um, did a little bit of time there and decided where am I going to live. Um, I decided, you know what, am I going to live in South Africa, am I going to live in New York, or am I going to live in Australia? And I literally um, decided on the toss of a coin between New York and, and Australia. And um, uh, here I am in, in, in Australia. And so I, I started um, working when I arrived in, in uh, Melbourne. I started working in a, um, for a few different people down there by a guy by the name of Paul Divideris from Biba. Um, I worked for another guy in um, called Paul Whitehead, lots of Pauls, in uh, Chapel Street in South Yarra. I was a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a vagabond. I was a bit of a sort of backpacker. I had very much a backpacker mentality. I was very young. I was 20, 21 when I arrived here. And then I traveled from Melbourne. After about 18 months in Melbourne, I went to Sydney. I worked for John Adams in Double Bay, someone at a top salon in, in Double Bay. I, it was very much about the blow dry. I was very much a haircutter more salons in, in um, uh, Sydney and then I got a job where I was required to work in Queensland as a, an educator for a group of salons in Queensland. I did that for about a year, maybe a year and a half and then on this total impulse I was walking down um, one of the main streets in Brisbane one day and decided to there was an, a new mall opening, a sort of groovy, trendy mall. 
and I decided to open a salon there. I would think I was about 23 years of age, uh, 24 years of age at this stage. Um, I opened that salon in 1987, um, and uh, we opened with three staff, and, you know, along the, the journey now, we are sort of 32 years in, and um, we've got 15 stores across the country. We employ about 220, 230 staff, whatever. And um, it's uh, rock and roll, Oscar, Oscar. Right. Let's go. Let's go into that, Ben. Let's dig in there. Um, one of the things I've always wanted to ask you: Why did you call it Oscar, Oscar? Why, why did okay. you Why did you name it twice? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I New York, New York. You know. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. What was the thinking behind it. that? I didn't have a stutter, um, as somebody said, that maybe I had a stutter, I was drunk. But um, I, I initially called it Oscar Cullinan, hairdressing. And um, in um, Queensland, where I first opened, um, the name Cullinan was a very rare name back then. And a lot, the, the pronunciation was very difficult. Of course, now we all know about the Rolls-Royce Cullinan and everybody wants to get one. Um, but it, it was really just to try and simplify and give it give it a little bit of pizzazz, and I guess make make the name just 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 give it make it a just give it a bit of groove, I guess, and simplify stuff. So there was no real, uh, you know, it, it it was it was just something that evolved. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I know you have, as you said, you know, you've worked in in different salons before you started to you know, open your own. Um, at what point do you know that it's the right time to open a salon? If you're a young hairdresser listening to this, I mean, you said that, that there was no, you know, sort of great plan. It just sort of hit you that this is what you were going to do. What, what is that, that point in your life that you know it's time to do the next step and, and start your own business? Yeah, well, I think it's it's a different it's different for everybody. It was a lot easier to open a salon back then than it is now. I mean, I think the first salon that I opened it was thirty thousand dollars, you know, to open a salon, you know, um, and, and we sort of begged, borrowed, and, and stole to sort of um, get the money together. So it was, you know, we're talking in the late eighties. It was it was a lot easier. Um, when is the right time? I guess well. I guess if you feel it in your gut, if that's your if that's your journey, if you if you've got if you feel compelled, I guess I felt compelled maybe in some way to to maybe prove to to myself and to prove to others and maybe prove to people back home that I I could sort of do something over here. But maybe I was just um, you know I've always been I've always went with my heart. I've always been driven by um, what goes inside me and the passion in my heart and. And uh, there's probably a little bit of emotion that drives me as well sometimes. As I get older, it's probably a little bit less emotion because sometimes we can get into trouble when we, we do that and make some mistakes. But it was, it, it, it was, it was an impulsive um, thing for me to do. I probably didn't know what I was getting myself in for. And, um, you know, once you sign that lease, you're, you're sort of married to the whole thing. So I probably yeah, exactly. didn't so, know all that either. So, so let me ask you this question. If, what do you wish you'd known before you opened a business? If there was just one thing, what, what would that one thing be that you, you think, gosh, I wish I knew that before I got into this? The importance of, of um, location. Location is, is still, it's rule 101. Um, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, in the third floor of, of a, a building in New York City or if you're in downtown LA or if you're if you're Santa Monica, if you're Hong Kong, it doesn't really matter. Um, the, the, the position has to be right for the target market, market that you're after. And for me, um, that's probably one of the biggest one of the biggest learning. That plus having having Good. Um, a, a startup team to, to kick off with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay. I read somewhere that um, you'd had your first salon, just one salon, for seven years. Um, and funnily enough, you and I opened our salons at about the, 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 the same time in the uh, uh, 90s, in the early 90s. Uh, so I want to ask you this. You had one salon for seven years. 
What was going through your head at that time? Was there a sort of a grand plan that was being developed behind the scenes for, you know, mass expansion? Or, or were you just happy to have one salon behind the chair, building up a clientele, being a busy hairdresser? I guess, you know, going back to, to, to just the way I am as a human being, um, a lot of it is, is um, un, unplanned. A lot of it is going with what I feel is right in my gut. Um, the, the, the idea of expanding, I guess, started to come to me after I was sort of standing behind a chair for, for a continued period of time doing the same guess. Um, you know, I, I, I started my salon with zero guests whatsoever i didn't take what steal whatever that's just how we operate but um so I, I i kicked off with zero and very quickly within three to four to five years i had built a very strong name with a um in the brisbane area there was another guy by the name of Benny tognini um who is who's quite quite famous um internationally and um hairdressing wise and, and locally very much so with the consumer um, so it was Benny and I were sort of, it was basically a bit of a, a tug of war of, of power in, uh, in, in Brisbane back then, I guess. Um, we were the new kids in the block. I was brand new. Benny, Benny was, was sort of born and raised, I guess, in, in the area. Um, but he was doing some amazing stuff. Stelius Pappas was doing some amazing stuff. So I, um, I just decided that, you know, I guess when I started to sort of maybe get a little bit bored with just standing behind a chair, having the same conversations, you know, talking about the, the latest restaurant, talking about where we went last night, talking about the new car, talking about it. And I just decided that um, it was time for me to, to maybe expand and, and, and turn this more into a business than this this just very intimate relationship that I was having on a day-to-day -day basis with clients. Okay. So, so what's the key to getting that right? Because you went from one salon to how many did you say you have now? 15. I've got 15. So it's been, it's been organic, you know, in 30, that's in 32 yeah. years, you know, so it's been, it hasn't been an explosion. We've went from 10, 10 salons, I, I guess from one to six very quickly um, over five or seven years and then we went and then we expanded again um, and then we cut back a couple of cells. So over, I guess it's, you know, one every two years if you want to sort of do the math. And okay. Yeah. So, so what, what's the key to getting it right if you expand? So just, just one or two key takeaways of if you want to expand, this is what you've got to do, this and this. What would they be? Well, you've got to you've got to have systems and process because um, great hairdressing is okay, but it, it, it's only part of the service offering and and systems, processes, and guaranteeing um, that the actual whole process of of once you walk in from when you walk into a salon or even before you walk into the salon, how the phone is answered, um, how you're checked in, how you how you seated, that whole process you have to sort of blueprint it and it has to be part of your brand's DNA. So that's, that's, that's crucial. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, but that's all about that, isn't it? It's about getting those systems in place from the minute the door opens to the minute the door closes and everything in between. That is fundamentally what I, what I believe as well. Um, I, I know that you, as part of that, that you, you said the first six salons, I think you said opened very quickly. And I know that at that point you were the owner of all six of them. And then there was a point in your career where you decided that that was the wrong business model when you went into a, uh, a partnership business model. Do you want to explain to us, you know, what is the partnership business model that you, that you now have? Yeah, well, I guess, first of all, I, I sort of, realized that um, having salon managers, once you started going beyond one, two, three salons to have salon managers, there was, there was always the, that great risk that, you know, a salon manager could come in on a, and have a bad day and just go, listen, you know, um, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I don't want to work here anymore. And it became very, very easy and you were very, very vulnerable with salon managers. And I've seen this happening an awful lot in, in the industry. 
So the salon, the, the growing the business at a high-end level, if I was a commercial salon group um, um, that was doing sort of discounted hairdressing or, or was, was a shampoo shop type operation, it would be a very different story. But to try and do high-end hairdressing um, without and grow the brand without having somebody lead it um, with skin in the game, I knew that it, it wouldn't work otherwise. It just couldn't work because I needed to be able to rely on people. And to, I needed to sort of, I guess, multiply myself. I needed to sort of have other Oscars um, in each store. I needed to have an owner operator in each store. And I, I looked at the franchise um, system and I do believe the franchise system, you know, in Australia it, has had a bit of a checkered past. And I know in, in the UK, it worked very successfully for many, many organizations. Um, and um, in America, it's a different system again, you know. Um, so, but in Australia, I, I, I really believe that a partnership model was going to be probably right for me at that time. And um, so what I did was basically I... I elected to, to choose people that wanted to have their own salon, but didn't want to have, I guess, the, the stress of doing everything. They didn't, want, they didn't want to do payroll. They didn't want to be totally in charge of training. They didn't want to be in charge of doing the, all the accounts. They didn't want to be in charge of, they, they wanted, uh, you know, dealing with leases. So I sort of said, you know, part it started pulling people in that I believed were like-minded, um, had the same standards that I had, and we started a partnership program, which is quite unique. I think there are some salons that operate our way um, globally, but not too many. Not too many organizations run operate the way we do. Mm. So, is it a is it a fifty fifty partnership? You and the, the owner of each salon. Yeah, in most cases, it's a 50-50 partnership. Um, in some situations, it could be, you know, it could be a couple, it could be a husband and wife, it could be, um, you know, two, a, a colorist and a, and, a, and a coordinator, two people that, that connect really well. Um, so somebody had, deals with the front of house, somebody deals with the, what's going on on the floor. Um, and it could, that could be, you know, it could be 30, 30, 40 or something like that. So I, it, 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 there's, there's a few variables, but the traditional one is a 50-50, yes. Right. Okay. And so you provide as a sort of a head office, you provide all the back end business support. Is that how it works? Absolutely. Everything from, from marketing to um, PR to collateral to um, the lease situation, dealing with the lease, choosing the locations, the fit outs. In some cases, we've interfinanced the, the, these partners because a lot of these people are bred from uh, apprentice to to straight through to to salon owner we have got several of these in in uh, in the group you know and and that's that's what really comes true so they've got the oscar oscar dna you know and the standards and systems and it's a great way of me guaranteeing knowing that you know and you would have known this through the Sassoon system that um you know hairdressers you can teach people how to cut hair the same, but it's very, very hard to teach people how to operate a business the same unless you've got a process and system for everything. Yeah, exactly. Are all of the people that work for you that have a partnership, are they all hairdressers? Did they all start off working for you as a hairdresser or does some of them come well, from the most, outside? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're business partners. They don't work for me anymore. Sometimes I think I'm working for yeah, them. Yeah, but, of course. But, yeah. but, but, but most of them, the majority of them are. There is one, I believe, or two maybe that that are not hairdressers, yes, that, um, that uh, are part of the partnership program. I'm really intrigued by this part of your business because I think that a lot of people want to expand, but they want to expand under management. And I think the way you've done this is, is really clever. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, to uh, you know, meet some of your business partners uh, a few years ago. And I can remember that you were very, very adamant about acknowledging them every inch of the way as being your partners, that it wasn't just the Oscar Cullinan show, that you have these great partners that run each of your salons in partnership with you and that you provide a, an umbrella 
you know, management company, branding company, marketing company. And, and I think that, that, is, uh, that that's the genius behind it. And, and one of the reasons I'm interested in that is that the business model in hairdressing is changing. I mean, it's always been changing under our feet and evolving from one thing to the next. But I think at the moment it is it is particularly you know interesting to see what is happening with the the hairdressing business model. So what what are your thoughts about the changing business models? Whether it's uh, you know the salon suite, um, you know the independent you know rise that's happening in the industry globally, or whether it's about product and talking about new routes to to market for product. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, let, let's just go through the salon suite um, scenario. I think that's a, a very successful model and it's getting great traction globally. And it's probably, you know, raised its head probably the strongest and the, as boldly um, in the last few years, particularly here in Australia, um, than it's ever been before. I do believe that it's got a lot of, uh, still got a lot of legs in it. However, you know, I, I think there's other, other areas of hairdressing that are maybe, um, maybe changing as well. I, I, I'm not too sure about whether people anymore think it's that exciting to to, to go into somebody's garage and get your hair done, for, for instance, you know. So I think the home hairdressing may, may eventually sort of come off the boil a little bit. I think there's a, an energy about salon space, you know, that doesn't this electrification that, that just moves through people's, through people's veins when they're working a salon that's just dynamic and pumping. Um, I don't think it's a salon suite can perhaps maybe give that offering. You know, it's a fashion show. Um, there's, there's, hairdressing is, is, being a hairdresser, it's a, it's a stage persona that we put on. Um, and we are really stage artists. And, uh, that's what we create and that's what we build. And, and that's what it was like in London in the eighties. And, and, you know, I've seen it, I've seen a change and change and change in, all, over the years, but there's certain things that I believe that people want to see. I think people want to be part of a movement. I think it's very hard sometimes in a movement to, um, for the consumer um, to, to embrace going into a space where they're just in a room singly by some, um, with somebody, somebody, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think there's a little bit there for for just there's a lot happening. Um, but I love what we're doing. I believe if there's a, a Louis Vuitton or if there's a Gucci or if there's a Chanel store, um, there can be an Oscar Oscar right beside it. And that's what I've that's what I've always believed in. Um, most of our stores are opposite an Apple or downstairs from a Gucci or beside an LB or wherever. Um, and that's where we position ourselves. And mm. I think the buzz that people get working in these stores is just amazing. And that's, that's why, why young kids want to get into Anderson because they're, they're on stage, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's perceived as glamorous. It's perceived as fashion. It's perceived as high luxury, all those things that you're branded. It's a show. It's a big show every day, you know? So one of the things that I think even your competitors would say about your business is they would say that Oscar Oscar has a reputation for a great team culture. So if you were listening to this, as a, as a young salon owner or a salon owner uh, and wanting to understand how do you create this team culture? What, what would be a couple of bullet points you'd say to them that you need to do this and you need to do that? Well, first of all, you need to, you need to make sure that the story that you're telling people, people are, are listening to and that your story is relevant for now. Um, um, there's a saying that says, that goes, what happens if you train people and they'll leave. And I once answered a guy who asked me that question. I said, what happens if you don't train people and they stay? Mm-hmm. So it's about getting people on board that buy into your brand, that buy into you, that must believe in you because it's always the leader. It's always the leader. If it's in my, a salon, that's a part of the salon. If that salon is going to work, it's because of the leader. If it's going to fail, it's because of the leader. And mm-hmm. it's about just making sure your people are trained well, making sure your brand is completely relevant and making sure that your, your, your culture is young and fresh and tight. Yeah. People need to 
to buy into you and they need to, to, to believe in you. And as far as they're concerned, there's nobody else, there's nobody else in town. That's the way I, I look at it. Okay. Do you think as someone who's been in business for 30 years, is it? Yeah, just over. Okay. What are the changes that you see in different generations? Mm-hmm. I mean, the people you're employing today weren't even born when you first opened. And, you know, we often hear a lot of talk about different generations and the needs and expectations of different generations. What, 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 what changes do you see with the current generation of young 20-year-olds compared to what they were, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago? How do they need to be treated different? What, what are their, you know, needs and expectations, so to speak? Well, I think, it, again, it goes back to... Um... You know, I, I, I've seen such a great work ethic in, in some of the people, young people that we are walking to our salons. I don't really see that much different from the work ethic that was there 25 years ago, Anthony. I mean, not in our salons, um, but we have a good filtering process as well. So so we, we our expectations are very, very, very high. You've just got to be, you've got to give them, a plan for the future. That's what's crucial these days is a plan for the future. Where are you going to, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to just cut hair into your 60s or 50s or 60s or, or 70s, which some people do and do incredibly well? Um, or are you going to go on this great big journey and, and uh, do you want to travel? You've got to tap into what it is that the individual wants. And you've got to, you've got to be relevant. You've got to be relevant. Um, and your people that are leading them. In my situations, I've got to make sure my partners are relevant in each store. Um, and you can see store to store where, you know, the journeys are sometimes different. You know, a city salon might be different to a regional salon, um, and the dreams and expectations can be very, very different. So um, first, there's got to be a journey, there's got to be a path, and there's got to be a step-by-step to get there. That's very, very important. Good. Yeah, perfect. Okay. From a, from a financial perspective, um, I mean, most salon owners uh, are single salon owners and they have a small business. Uh, most of them, you know, they struggle to um, be financially successful. Now, as someone who has built, um, you know, a, a, a group of 15 salons and growing, um, what would you suggest a salon owner should aim for in terms of profit margins in a business over and above what they pay themselves? Is there a, is there a sort of a percentage figure that you would say, this is what they should aim for, that this is realistic? Yeah. Listen, I always, it, it depends on the store. It depends. It's a, it, that's a, that's a, a bit of a loaded question and it's a little bit of a tricky one to answer because obviously we've got a lot of views that and listeners that are, are, are from different parts of the world with different different makeups of the of, and business how business is structured but i always try to make sure that there's a, a a net profit i always look at turnover um and net profit and i you need to be making a solid percentage of net profit as well you know, so your margin has to be there um, because you've got to allow for some. If somebody leaves, you've got to allow for. If you get a bit of bad press, you've got to allow for. If your rent goes up, you've got to allow for for COVID. Um, um, you've got to allow for so many different things, and it, it, you can just just seasonal changes. So you've always got to keep a strong margin, a double digit margin, I believe, of profit. Yeah, in okay, the early so double, double digits. Digit, yeah. So, yeah, because that, that's interesting. That's what I was trying to nail it down to. But, you know, you often hear a figure of, of the average salon out there. And funnily enough, this is transferable, whether you're talking, you know, Europe, whether you're talking the US, whether you're talking Australia, wherever, is that you'll often hear a figure of, you know, that the average salon is making about 5% profit after all their overhead is paid. Now, um, when that's you say the low that's double digits, it's a dangerous space. There's not a lot of money being made. It's yeah. as simple Listen, as that. There's not yes, a lot of money being made. There's no my, my, my philosophy is, Anthony, that I get really pissed off 
if I'm if I'm uh, making more than the landlord, <laughs> I'm making less than the landlord. Should I say? I, I will reiterate: if I'm making making less than the landlord, so um, mm. you know. Uh, we've got stores that make $400,000 profit a year. We've got stores that make $200,000 a year. We've got stores that make $500,000 profit a year. We've got stores that, and, and, and a lot of them sitting between them. They're all over. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. You, you know, and, and, okay. and it's ebbs and flows. So sometimes you can, you, you know, that, that, that most challenging place um, for a salon to be sometimes is at the top when it's really pumping. You've got, you've got 12 stars to all booked out. Um, they're booked out in advance. Um, they're cranking, they've been with you for years. That's sometimes the most dangerous place. <laughs> and uh, I know you've yeah. been in business, and I remember your business is in Sydney. Um, and I've, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's, and I think, you know, somebody once said this to me um, back in the day that the most exciting place to be is just building the business. It's just when you're gaining that momentum and, and all the new clients are coming through, all the new guests are coming through and you're getting into that stage. Because once you're on the top of that hill, mm. you know, you're, you're a bit of a lone wolf and um, you're, you're an easy target sometimes as well. So I think, um, mm. you know, it, it, there's no point in being in business unless it's profitable. You know, you're better off working yeah. for somebody else or you're better off doing something else. Yeah, yeah exactly. I couldn't agree more. Um, I know retail is a big part of your business. And I know you've now got your own product line as well. I'm going to come to your own product line later on, but um, is retail a big part of your business model? I think retail sits in around 16, 17%. So considering that the, the high streets and the malls that we're in, we're in high, high end malls, like what I call black, black label malls. All right. So they're sort of, They've got all the designer stores, et cetera, et cetera. And normally they've got anchor tenants that are high-end sort of um, anchor tenants department stores. And we're normally somewhere in the main run. All right, the Golden Mile. Um, the product component is a very, very important. We, we, we deal with high-end products um, and, and that's part of our offering. Um, but at the end of the day, I've always wanted my salons to look like salons and to not look like retail outlets, <laughs> you know, product retail outlets. So, so I always, I guess, the, the percentage of, of turnover in retail represents pretty much the amount of footprint um, or space that I would also allocate, you know, though it may be yeah, out the front yeah. and, and, and front and foremost, it, we, we don't, it doesn't dominate our salon space because if it were to dominate our, our salon space, well, then we would look more like a Sephora or a Mecca or whatever. Okay. So, but, but, but I want to acknowledge the fact that your retail is that you do really well with retail. Like when I see the pictures of your retail areas and your yeah. salon design and stuff, I think that you, you, you pay a lot of attention to detail, the merchandising, the marketing, the product mixed, you, you know, th there's not a lot of money spared and to, to make your retail look fantastic. Uh, and I yeah. think you do that well. And, and so when you say to me 16 to 17%, I think that's what you just said, uh, yeah. is, is what you aim for. Uh, that again is, is way above industry averages. So okay. it's important to invest in that because there's a direct link um, I find with salons, that the two questions that I've asked you about with, with how much profit margin should a salon make and then talking yeah. about retail. When you find those salons that are more profitable, double-digit profit, you often or nearly always find that they have a healthy retail uh, component sure. to that as well, which is uh, you, you've got a good, a good balance with that mix. Um, are you finding that your retail sales are growing or are they declining? Because as we enter this age of more and more um, online, you know, consumerism, is it having an impact on your salon retail or, or is it, does it just complement it nicely? Funnily enough, it, we haven't really seen it yet. And I'm not quite sure why, because I was expecting to see it. I was, was expecting to see it because most of the product companies, particularly the large global companies, particularly with, with, once COVID happened, um, you, you know, they started going direct online. So it's, it, I think recommendation at a high end level is, is crucial to the consumer. 
Um, and to our guests, it's it's very, very, very important. Do they just get recommended and then buy online after that? I'm sure a percentage of them do. But we haven't really seen much of a decline, Anthony. Yeah, interestingly. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's mm. interesting. Uh, I, I know that your salons are... Are they all in malls? Are they exclusively um, in shopping I think malls? there's about 12, there's 10 or 12, there's, there's, 12, there's, there's four or five that are on high streets, yeah? And they're varying yeah, okay. from big, big, big high streets to, to small little boutique. There's one small little boutique salon, yeah, in, in, on the Gold Coast. It's a, a smaller boutique, Oscar Oscar, uh, on a high street. So they're, they're, they're the majority of them are, yeah? Right, okay. And... You know, one of the things I notice on on my travels, you know, whether it's in the, you know, North America or anywhere through Europe, Australia, whatever, is that there are certain cities or certain states where a particular business model might be more successful than it would be in another city or other state in the same country. And I know you're very successful with your business model, uh, particularly in Victoria and in Queensland. Hmm. Why do you think that that, model of high-end luxury in uh, shopping malls uh, for your salon business is so successful in some states, but maybe not as successful in other states? Well, it's never been tested. So, so um, there is absolutely no hesitation. We're, we're incidentally, that you're talking about um, um, Victoria and Queensland. That's where I put the focus, the focus. Um, my focus now will be very much in, in New South Wales. We've just taken over a, a gigantic um, business there in Bondi Junction, which is going through a rebrand. Um, and, you know, I, I, we had a, very, a hugely successful, in fact, one of the most successful sales I had was in Oxford Street, Paddington. I ended up um, selling that on to a lovely partner girl um, and because purely because I wanted to expand more sites. And it, it's not... It's a little bit pointless for me to have just one store in a state. You know, a cluster of store, I start, we start to control the market. It's easier to service from a HQ point of view. Uh, it's, it's, um, we, we, we get more traction in the area or in the state. If we have, have more, we corner the market. We, we are less susceptible to predatory attack. You know, we, yeah. we as, a, as a, a group, love to have, you know, a cluster of stores in a region, you know. And um, Sydney, we certainly, um, you know, we've had uh, a great relationship in Sydney with, with, in, in, in terms of business. But we, Queensland and, and, and Victoria are just no-brainers for us. It's very, very easy. It was a lot easier. Um, okay. I just need to have the right people leading the charge there. Sure, yeah. So you mentioned COVID uh, before. What sort of impact has, has COVID had on your business over the last two years? That's a fun question. <laughs> That's a fun question. <laughs> I'm sure everybody, everybody's had, of, had enough of COVID. But interestingly, the, the benefit, Anthony, of, of um, and I'm sure many viewers will sort of understand this, uh, is that state by state we had a major differences in, in terms of lockdowns. You know, Victoria was hit really hard with lockdowns. I think they had six lockdowns or something like that. Um, they were closed for 200, 200 days. Um, uh, you know, Melbourne really got torn apart. Um, um, Sydney got a little bit of a kick along. Uh, kick along. Um, and um, Queensland sort of escaped a lot of the... The, the, the bad stuff or a lot of lockdowns. So Queensland has been very, very lucky. So I guess when, from from my perspective, though I, my heart went out for, for my Melbourne guys was that at least we had Queensland churning stuff away and keeping stuff moving. And, um, you know, there was a stage there where I had six salons down. I had about 90 staff down. So we had a salon that I'd taken over in Sydney that I'd never even st stood inside um, and met the team. Um, we, we literally went into lockdown the day I took it over. And then we've had um, Melbourne, as I said, that were locked down for 200 days or something like that. It was crazy. It's yeah. I think Melbourne was the most locked down state in, on the planet, basically, there for a while. Yeah, I think it, I think it does have that reputation uh, of having the most days in lockdown. Okay, so um, I know your latest project is your own product line that you've started. 
Um, and I'm really intrigued to to hear about that. Uh, so so tell us what was what was the impetus for you to wake up one day and go, the world needs another product line. <laughs> and, I'm, yeah. and I'm going to start it. So uh, oh. I love the packaging and the look of it. But, uh, yeah. you know, t- tell us the thinking behind it and, and how it's going. Yeah, well, um, first of all, I didn't wake up one day and, and uh, think I'm going to <laughs> create a product. Anthony, I've been, I've been waking up for the last 25 years thinking about um, doing this. I just didn't have a silver bullet. And uh, I've seen the great, the great minds of the world, the Charles Worthingtons. I've seen the, you know, the Sassoons. I've seen, you know, John Frieda. I've seen all the great brands that have have came out via, um, I guess, the hairdressing sort of celebrity hairdressing conduit. Uh, Trevor Sobey. I've seen them all. I've watched them all, and I've watched them all with from a distance. And you know. I said to myself, what is the silver bullet here? Okay, I've won Australian Head of Sevilla twice. Uh, okay, I've got a name that's pretty much household name, in, certainly in Queensland and Victoria, um, New South Wales to a great degree. We were in New South Wales. We were in Sydney for, for um, you know, 15 years or something, you know. So we're very well known in, in the heart of Sydney on Oxford Street there. I, I just didn't have a silver bullet. So what I did was I created a Tesla. I, I created a scientific um, product, which, which I, I guess, an ode to nature. I, I introduced um, some hemp seed. I was trying to initially introduce CBD oil into the product, but TGA when, and uh, the licensing was going to be challenging with that um, because of its, its, what it does for hair and it's what it does for, it's got all the omegas, omega-369. Um, so I, I, I got a blend of native Australian products, Kakadu plum, Davidson plum, lemon myrtle, uh, hemp seed, um, a wattle seed, and we've created this beautiful, beautiful luxury product. It basically is, is nature plus nurture. And I guess it's part of my, 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 my final journey, and Anthony. You know, it's, I've spent... Over thirty years, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm, I, I'm early fifties, and I spent probably the last yeah, thirty-five plus, thirty-seven plus years of my life, um, you know, in the salon space. And now, to me, I, I like challenges, and um, we've got a path to market anyway. At worst case scenario, but I've got, I've got big plans, plans for this product, you know, so. You know, there was demand for, you know, it, it, it was an old brainer not to have our own product, you know. So that's, that's my journey now. And uh, once you do, the biggest problem for me was how am I going to do it well? How am I going to do it with, because we're selling the most expensive products in the world in our salons. So I couldn't just put in some, some slop in a, in, in a jar. Um, I had to have stuff that is, can stand right beside and sit beside this and perform better, can smell better, can, can um, look better in the bathroom and, um, you know, can walk the walk. So um, I, I believe we've, I've, I've done that. And this is, this is 25, 30 years of um, blood, sweat and tears. I sort of, uh, you know, and a lot of research and development. Australian hair is the toughest hair you can deal with. It's, it's, it gets, it's got the toughest conditions and, uh, We've tested it and, and we're getting some amazing results. So, uh, and it's flying off the shelves. I just need to ramp up manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what is it at the moment? Is it a, a styling brand or shampoo, conditioner, treatment brand? What does what, what it Okay, um, so what does we, it come? we kicked off with three hero products, um, three hero products and um, um, two treatments, a protein and a moisture. And... Also, we've got um, a, a serum, a hair oil or a serum. And now we've got four other products, our five products in queue are our styling products. Yeah. So oh, another six months, we should have seven, seven or eight products. Yeah. And distribution at the moment is just through your own salons. But as you say, you've got big plans um, so, for it. Yeah. We're, we're, we are talking with different pe- people at the moment around the world. Um, but I, I just want to get build a range to, to its... Till the range, till the range is complete, I guess, or almost complete, of fifteen products, and then we're going to send it out there to the market. And I'll, I'll, um, 
sort of work with that as I do and everything that I do. And it becomes, it's very organic. It's got to be organic for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, I know you've got your own farm um, yeah. in Byron Bay or near, near Byron yeah, Bay. I'm yeah. not sure exactly where it is. Uh, do you actually, you know, grow the ingredients? Are you, are you involved in it? Some right of the, 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 the hemp up, seed, so yes. Hemp seed is grown in, the, in, in uh, a part of our property, yes. Um, the other stuff is, is sourced um, locally, the wattle seed, the... The lemon myrtle—that's all sourced locally in northern the northern rivers, the northern New South Wales area. So okay. it's, it's God's country. Right I, I, yeah, I take my hat off to you. I know it's a huge, you know, uh, project and a, and a and a financial bottomless pit to get something off the ground. Research and development, all the testing, the packaging, the marketing, branding, design element. Uh, and you've done a great job of it. So, uh, yeah, so congratulations. Okay, uh, just a couple of things before we start to wrap up. First one is, is what, what's the most important thing that you've learned about leadership? Oh, that's a tricky one. Well, listen, um, people got to like you. That's number yeah. one if you're a leader. Well, that's a, okay. Yeah, you, they've got to like you. So they've got to believe in you um, and they've got to like you. And um, I've always, I guess, you know, some people have called me, called me a little bit of a hard ass sometimes. Uh, um, I've been called many, many things in, in, in this great journey of leading salons and, and leading the company. But if people trust you, that's rule 101 as well. You know, you've got to, people have to trust that and believe in you that, that you're being honest and mm. leaders, you leaders, you know, lead from the front. Sometimes you need, I used to lead from the front. Now I lead from behind. Um, um, they've got to believe in you. They've got to believe in your, your relevance and, and that you genuinely care about them because that's, that's one of the main reasons that people tap out with brands or with, with their bosses is that they, they don't feel as if they're cared about enough. Um, and it's pretty simple stuff. So I think with me, it's always been, I've always felt like my people are really my people. They're my friends, they're my family. Maybe it's because I'm over here 10,000 miles away and don't have too many family over this side of the world. But uh, I've always had that very close connection with my people and, and felt as if they were, were family. And um, you've got to guard them. You've got to protect them. You've got to... You've got to lift them up. You've got to build them up. And, uh, um, you know, every now and again, there's got to be some tough love in there. But 90% of it should be should be about me. Or 95% of it should be making them just lifting these people up and taking them to a greater place. You know, taking them, okay, to, that's them great. to a better place in their head, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know before you had your own salons that you were involved as a, as, I think as an educator of some description yeah. uh, in a bigger salon group um, yeah. in Queensland. Uh, did you have a mentor as part of your journey, someone that you looked up to who had done what you're now doing? That, I've that had a few. I've you, had a coached few, you, I've had a influenced few, you. you know? I think I've had a few. I've had a few from, you know, they say a smart person learns from their their um, mistakes. A smarter person learns from others' mistakes. I think Sassoon's back in the day was a bit of a mentor organisation for me in, in what they did right, right and perhaps maybe what they didn't do so right as well. I, I think um, um, John LaCourt, which was the, a guy that I worked for back in the, um, the guy that you just mentioned, I seen what John did right, and I seen what he didn't do right. I seen what some other large organisations um, that came out of the UK. I watched them very, very closely, and, and you know, I've, I've watched brands in America and what they've done. I've watched celebrity hairdressers in America. So I, I tend to watch what people sometimes closely. It, um, intimately and sometimes from a distance and just sit back and see what they're doing. And, and um, mm. I've always been a little bit of a voyeur that way. I've always liked to just, just see what, how brands tick along and, and what makes them and what, and what in some cases breaks them down. Sure. Okay. All right. I've got five very short answer questions here for you. Ready? Mm. Sure. What's your biggest strength? I'm honest. Honesty. Okay, great. That's a great strength to have. Uh, what drives you? I get bored easily. 
And I like, I just like challenges. Otherwise, I just, uh, I just get bored. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, how do, how do you reinvent yourself? Because you're as current today as what you were 30, 40 years ago when you started. Yeah. So yeah. that's a skill um, in itself. Yeah. I, I, I just cannot. I, I, I just feel, I have this, this love for life and, and this love for um, this industry. If I'm going to be in this industry, I've got to be on the top of my game. Otherwise, I'm going to tap out now. So um, I, I just, um, I'm a proud human being, I think, and I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be involved unless I was, unless, unless I was right up there at the cutting edge, I wouldn't be involved. I'd be out of it. I'd be on my farm now near Byron Bay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so what, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? Not necessarily hairdressing. Ooh, no man is an island. Okay, so you we 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 need great people around us, um, and mm. try not to be um, in, try not to be all things to all people. But you do need great people around you. Try do not for one second think that uh, you know I'm a great leader. I'm a shit general manager. You know, <laughs> um, uh, I'm a great marketing strategist in terms of what I want to see. But, you know, you can't even get me on, on, uh, on social media very well, very often. Um, um, yeah, so that's, that's it. Okay, okay, that's good. Last one, <laughs> last one. What do, you, what do you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at... Um, Oh, listen, I, I wish I had better IT skills, Anthony. I think after this, after this podcast, uh, yeah, I, think I, think, uh, I think you pretty much worked out that I'm, uh, I'm uh, pretty, pretty rough around the edges in that department. That's okay. You can't, be, you can't be good at everything. Okay, so whereabouts can people connect with you on uh, Instagram or other uh, social media well, channels? Well, they can get us at Oscar Oscar on Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, our website. Our website's uh, a very, very agile website, uh, very relevant, um, and and all the other bits and pieces. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're easy to find. Very Just easy, Google, very Oscar, easy Oscar. to get. You, right, can, okay. you can get us anywhere, right. anytime, 24-7. We, I, yeah, we're coming at I you. Will put, I will put those links in uh, the show notes and stuff for this podcast as well uh, on the Grow My Salon Business website. So if you're listening to this podcast with Oscar Cullinan and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Oscar Cullinan, thank you ever so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.